get some of this. In this corner with Brian Campbell is back and ready to inject your inhibitions with another lethal dose of that performance-enhancing audio. It's the return of the MMA edition on the ITC podcast. I back. Trust me. I back. And the man with the plan, the Brian Campbell, welcomes in a very special guest this week in Bellator light heavyweight Muhammad Lawal to tackle a variety of topics across all three combat sports. Yes, King Mo himself pulling no punches, I might add, on everything from John Jones and Chris Cyborg to why so many fighters have made that leap from UFC to Bellator in recent years. Lawal will also share his take on the Floyd Mayweather Conor McGregor super fight and break down from his own experience why pro wrestling is actually harder than mixed martial arts. This is Mo Lawal unplugged and as real as it gets in an engaging interview guaranteed to leave you impressed. I'm not impressed by your performance. All right, maybe not you, GSP, but you will be, and maybe, just maybe, it'll leave you wanting more from BC and the King down the road. But as always, we encourage you to check out all of the audio offerings from In This Corner this week, including our boxing episode featuring a sit-down with middleweight champion Gennady Golovkin, Triple G, ahead of his September 16th showdown with Canelo Alvarez. And also check out our pro wrestling edition featuring interview with the monster among men himself, WWE superstar Braun Strowman, just two. Two weeks out from SummerSlam, let me tell you, you won't want to miss. And one final reminder, if you like what you hear today on the In This Corner podcast, if you see something, say something. Oh, yeah. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, review. Heck, do us a solid and spread that word on social media using the hashtag In This Corner. But for now, it's time for me to welcome in the king. Enjoy. MMA royalty on the In This Corner podcast this week with the former Strike Force Light Heavyweight Champ, current Bellator MMA standout King Mo Lawal, an expert of, of all three combat sports, if you will, King Mo. Thank you for joining our podcast, man. What's going on? What's happening in your life? Man, I've just been chilling, man. I'm training, getting back in shape. I had a little surgery, so I had to take some time off, and now I'm just back in the gym training, man. What 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 what'd you have some work done on? What what happened there? What broke down on you? Oh man, I got I'm getting old, man, from all the wrestling. So I had a, a hip resurfacing. It's called a Birmingham hip resurfacing. What they do is uh, I was pretty much bone on bone since we're, like my, I was Rashad trained for Quentin Jackson years ago, and after that I could never walk normal. So I felt like my hip was messing up. So I just kept on training and and fighting, and then finally I went and got an X-ray, and the doctor was like, "Hey man, your hip is messed up. It's bone on bone." And I was like, so what's that mean? He's like, well, you need a hip, hip, uh, a hip replacement. And I was like, I can't do that. I'm trying to fight still. So I did research. I saw a thing called the Birmingham hip resurfacing. And what they do is they, um, they, um, smooth, like they, I guess they smooth out your hip and cap it with metal and they put metal into the hip socket. So I'm bionic now. This guy's like Robocop now coming out there. Yeah, I'm bionic right now. That's what we're talking about here. King Mo, you're only a few months removed from the last appearance in March. When you Did you put the Rampage rivalry behind you for good with that unanimous decision in the rematch? Yeah, man. The, the rivalry was behind me after the first time I really beat him, you know, even though he cheated me. It wasn't the previous fight, but I got the victory, you know. And then the second fight, like, he was big, so I had to fight smart, you know. And uh, I tried to put, take the fight to him because I wasn't expecting him to be moving backwards. So um, this fight, I had to push the fight and uh, – take it to him or, or try to, you know, and uh, I did and got the victory. 
Well, King Mo, we got a lot to talk about today. There's so much going on in the world of MMA. The, the big story in the past few weeks, of course, John Jones has returned to the UFC after you know after a, a loss two years, if you will. But but this guy, man, this guy picked up where he left off. When you look at that rematch with Daniel Cormier, UFC 214, did that emphatic of a performance surprise you at all? Um. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Let me ask you a quick question. What was so good about the performance? Tell me. Well, it was a much closer fight the first than the first one in the first two rounds. I guess you you really put it on how crisp he looked, and then the ability to close the fight and end it with such a dramatic strike. So how did he look so crisp? I was wondering because to me, I thought he looked better the first fight. Um, the second fight, um, Daniel out jabbed him. Daniel, Daniel walked him down. Daniel had him reeling. Daniel had him. I think that Jones looked. You know, he just looked kind of rusty. Um, didn't have a good sense of range just yet, and uh, he grew back into things. But I had I had Daniel winning. Um, Winning the fight as far as like momentum, you know, I thought it was one one, maybe two, nothing for Daniel, but he he had momentum going. Um, if you look at the fight, Jones was giving a lot of ground because Daniel was putting pressure on him. Um, the first time they fought, what Jones was doing was Jones Jones would uh, close a distance and bully him and back Daniel up against the cage. Well, this time Daniel made some adjustments. So when Jones tried to um bully him or come in close after getting hit, Daniel would uppercut him or foot sweep him. So that's why you've seen Jones was off balance and he was reeling and Daniel kept on walking, walking him down. Now, um, what, 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 Daniel's downfall is, um, when he was walking um, Jones down, Jones switched to southpaw and Daniel was out of his stance and Daniel was kind of literally just walking in, drifting to his right and the head kick came. You know, that's the, that's the only thing that was, that was the mistake Daniel made of the net because I think he maybe got, got too relaxed and too comfortable, you know, because really the techniques for Jones was throwing at Daniel was to keep Daniel off of him. There was not not many techniques thrown to do damage. It was just to keep Daniel off him so he can try to utilize his distance and um, score points from range. How hard is it when you're when you're a guy like DC in a fight like that, and you're going up against a guy with with freak like range, like all the things John Jones does well in terms of striking is well documented. But just the eighty four and a half inch reach, how do I mean? How do you close that type of ground and be able to have some success against that? Daniel did by throwing jabs. That's one thing. If you look, um, Jones has no jab really. Um. He uses his kicks and he uses his hands, puts his hands forward. That's why you see the eye poke because he had no jab. Um, Daniel out jabbed him. Daniel's out striking him. Daniel had the right game plan. Daniel kept the fight in boxing range. He got in trouble when the fight became, got when the kickboxing range. That's why he got head kicked. Um, other than that, it was a good fight by my boy Daniel. He fought good. Great fight by Jones. He, uh, he, he exploited, um, a weakness that, not a weakness, but, um, a mistake that Daniel made and, uh, capitalized on it. So it was a good high level fight. Um, I just feel like some people are making it seem like it was a one sided mismatch when it really wasn't. If anything, the fight was going Daniel's way. The whole game plan Daniel had set that I saw was on point and it was executed to a T just right. besides that one mental error. That's it. It would have been interesting to see where that fight would have went, you know, without, without such a dramatic strike landing, how that fight would have evolved. The first time, you know, Cormier admitted himself was a little bit too emotional. We saw him gas over those last two rounds. Where do you think that fight would have evolved to in rounds three, four, and five had it not ended there? Oh, rounds three, four, and five? I thought, damn, like the way, the way the fight was going, with Jones giving up so much ground and running, like, literally running, like, you know, clearing, like running away, kind of, he turned his head and run. I think that, the, the momentum was in Daniel's favor. You know, even even if you look at the first two rounds, to see Jones throw his arms up and try to celebrate when nothing really happened, like really when Daniel might win those rounds, maybe believe that he wasn't quite sure who won those rounds and maybe he's trying to steal those rounds by 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 
standing up and throwing his arms up makes it seem like, hey, I did enough to win that round. Maybe he could sway the judge's decision. But I think Daniel fought a great fight. I think Jones fought a great fight too, but I feel like Daniel had the momentum going. You know, if he went, if he went past that round, he would have the momentum going for the third and fourth. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely could see that. I guess for to try to support in saying John Jones looked like he was back, I, I saw a guy, I guess, not not cautious. Against OSP 2016, the one fight Jones reappeared in during that two years of, of a lot of trouble inside and outside of the cage, it, it looked like he wasn't... I don't want to say willing to 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 let loose with sort of, sort of dynamic strikes, but there was a safety. There was there was something, uh, you know, like there was something in there that you can tell that gave him caution that we hadn't seen in the past. At the very least, it appeared that was gone. And I don't. I mean, how hard is that to come off of a layoff and be be willing to step in there and, and let go like that? Well, the thing is with the OSP fight, it wasn't. What he was there. It's just that he put on too much weight. He was slower. His nose would be slower. Um. He couldn't take OSP out and take him down in the center of the cage because he was too big. He put on too much weight. So he had to push OSP against the cage to take him down. Um, two, um, he was a little more cautious because OSP has reach and he has height as well. Um, it's easy to open up on somebody that has, that's a lot shorter and has a lot shorter reach. You can open up on them and not have to pay any consequences because the chances of them catching you and countering you is going to be slim. Now, dealing with the guy that's a lot taller, and, and, and a lot longer. That's a different story because then his range, like not his, his range, is not is it's effective. It's not nearly as effective as it was if he's facing someone like Daniel or someone a lot shorter. So uh, I feel like when he was facing OSP, he realized that hey, he can still hit me even though I can hit him. Let me fight smart. And two, I'm not as quick as I was, and my condition's not as, was, like it was how it used to be. So uh, I think he had to go out there and fight smart, especially after he realized that OSP was going nowhere after the first two rounds. What's incredible about Jones now, just turning 30, is that there's been so many narratives, right? In a short window, he was like unknown when he joined the UFC, then becomes dominant champion, then there's greatest of all time talk, then he's a cautionary tale, now he sort of comes full circle again. So, to a lot of people, to me included, he reached, he took back that number one pound for pound slot of, of active fighters right now. Where, is that too, is it too easy to give him that based on what you said about what you saw him in there against Cormier? Is, is Demetrius Johnson still your number one? Where do you sort of readjust those rankings coming off of this fight? I'm going to be real with you. I put Demetrius Johnson as Cyborg 1A, 1A, 1B. Because ain't nobody going to beat Cyborg. Ain't nobody going to beat Cyborg anytime soon. Demetrius Johnson is looking, looking great. He's doing everything. The people not 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 losing many minutes or seconds of any round. Um, I got Jones up there, of course, but the thing is that people – um, a lot of times people put him up there because he's a, you know, he's um a bigger name per se, and it's easy to push. So they kind of just like go on what's hot. Now Jones is hot right now, so oh, he's the hot, top top fighter in the world. Well, Cyborg, Cyborg is to me one of the top fighters in the world. You know, I watched him spar with Clarissa Shields, and I've seen Clarissa Shields spar. Clarissa Shields is a beast in boxing, probably one of the best women. Oh in yeah, boxing. she's coming off winning her first world title, just her fourth. Was this her what her fourth uh, professional fight Friday night against Nikki Adler? I think third. She beat Franchon Lewis, beat some other girl on Showtime. This is a third fight, you know. Um, so I'm like, who's like, who's really gonna just to see Cyborg competitive with her in sparring says something. Um, Were you there for the for the sparring match? We saw pictures of them on social media. If I was there, I wish I could have been there because I would have loved to see that. But I've seen, I've, I've watched Clarissa train. I watched, I watched her shadow box. I watched her spar. Um, she's a she's she's something else. Um, you know, look at Cyborg. Cyborg fought Jarena Bars, who's one of the top female kickboxers in the world. She's um, sparred with Carisha Shields. She's grappling. She's done everything. 
you know. But but you know, she's lost one time in, in MMA years ago. But as far as like seeing anyone beat her right now, I don't see. Any, there's probably I'm, I'm pretty sure there's people out there that could. But they just haven't made it to the forefront just yet. Well, Cyborg lost her pro debut, right? Hasn't lost since then. The thing I like about who she is as a fighter in the UFC as opposed to the early one in Strike Force to the in-between run in Invicta is she's patient now. Like, do you remember how much of a full-force brawler she was? Even if you go back to that, that that big Gina Carano fight years ago under the Strike Force banner, she's so patient working off that jab now. You really have seen the evolution. And when you watch that fight against Tanya Evinger and winning the title at UFC 214, I saw a much more disciplined boxer than we've ever seen before. Yeah, she's striking a lot better. But, you know, that takes time. You know, before um, she could just go out there and blitz girls, but I think when she fought Jarena Bars, she realized, okay, I can't blitz everybody. Mm-hmm. Fight smart because Jarena Bars, we try to blitz Jarena. Jarena dropped her with the knee. You know, Jarena dropped her twice. You know, actually maybe three times, but they counted they counted um, two of them. They didn't count one of them. So Jarena was six three, forty. I think her record was forty one zero and three, and Cy- that was Cyborg's like third or fourth kickboxing match, and Cyborg went there competed and. She tried to bully this woman, and this woman wasn't having it. And I think after that, I realized Cyborg became a lot more patient, um, a lot more, di- a lot more disciplined. She fights behind her jab more, faints, better, ra- better sense of range. Um, she's, she's. I think I feel like she's a complete fighter. Will there be though, uh, King Mo, enough competition at that featherweight, at that 145 pound weight class under the UFC banner, to I don't know, to, to keep her. Her star rising. We know she's been a brand for a while. The UFC had for a long time sort of been tentative at bringing her in and launching her. Now they created a division around her. Are there enough featherweights to give her competition, or are we going to see a lot more blown up bantamweights who are looking to get into title fights, get get their name out there more when they see now a, a real opponent in Cyborg who can create headlines? Uh, I don't think it matters really. You know, it, it doesn't matter who they put in front because I think Cyborg is just that just that much farther ahead of most women right now that are fighting. Um, now, as far as her being a star. She's a star, but I feel like if she's American, she'd be a bigger star. Right. You know, let's be real. You know, um, um, I think that her being Brazilian, I think it's great. And I think it's great for as far as diversity and um and different stories and you know different culture. But if they want to, like, you know, if they would, you know, if she's American, she'd get pushed more. You know, let's let's be plain and simple. Let's keep it real. But um, I feel like it's up to UFC to find their opponents. You know, there's a great Megan Anderson out there, I believe, in Invicta. Oh yeah. Um, they can have her fighting and just keep on looking for girls. You know, the sweet, the Swedish women have are known for having good wrestlers and good boxers. If if I were them, I would try to talk to Cecilia Brockhouse. You know, she's a female boxer from Sweden, and see if um they could do a super fight with her and Cyborg in a boxing match. You know, do something. Keep her, keep her active. You know, seeing Cyborg in the ring Friday night on the Showtime broadcast when Clarissa Shields won this pair of super middleweight titles, it just sort of triggered it in my mind, right? Like we're in Mayweather McGregor season where anything's possible. You wonder if Cyborg can continue to dominate, can become a, a, a face of the women's division in UFC if we ever would see her in a crossover boxing match like you just mentioned, you know, like that, it feels like anything's possible these days in combat sports, right? I'm, I'm used to being years of being a boxing fan, watching all the promoters squabble, and you don't get the fights you see. Now it's like I feel like anything's possible. But it depends, man. It depends on the, who, the money because let's be real. If um if the UFC didn't overpay for the product, or if the IMG didn't overpay for the product, and Floyd probably didn't have tax issues, the carnivorous Floyd fight might never even happen. Good point. And then you, you look at Cyborg like. Cyborg could fight Cecilia Brockhouse. That's a good fight, but anything can happen. It just depends on the money, you know. So if if he can make a lot of money, the fight can happen. If it's like, if it's just like a a fancy matchup, but people don't really care about it, 
then there's no chance of it happening. Well, speaking of money and fantasy matchups, coming out of that Jones victory over Cormier, I thought he did the smartest move I've seen him do in a couple of years. Take that microphone and turn the attention toward a super fight, potentially against Brock Lesnar, if he can come back after this five months left on his USADA suspension. You know, there's some details that would have to happen. Brock would have to announce his comeback, would need the permission from WWE, all of that. What did you look at that decision? I felt like it was smart coming off of Mayweather McGregor, seeing Connor the businessman. I felt like Jones sort of stepped in and said, I got to get my piece of that pie uh i don't i don't know because like like what he could i don't know i feel like brock lesnar like i guess that's cool but brock's not a fighter he's a pro wrestler you know um you watch his fight with the uh, mark hunt was that really entertaining no, it, w- it was laying down for three rounds. There was, you know, the Brock was uh seemed to be an extra wired beast that day as the drug test came out. You know, afterwards showing, I mean, he looked fresh, he looked good, but yes, it was it was a lot of uh, a lot of takedown and lay. And so, what's going to happen is like, first of all, I can name a bunch of two hundred five pounds, possibly one eighty five pounds could beat that could beat um Brock. It's Brock's not a fighter; he's a part time fighter. That like, I wouldn't pay to watch that fight because I know what's going to happen. You know, now I'd rather see, you know, um. Jones versus like Nganu or Jones versus Myosic or Jones versus Verdum, Jones versus Kane. You know, there's other fights you know, they, they can make, hack, make it happen, but like they just want to use Brock's name because Brock is big and he's a name from pro wrestling. But as far as a fight, I don't see that fight being competitive whatsoever. Yeah, that's a money fight. I think that actually has the potential to break the UFC pay-per-view record. And I think that's why why Jones is angling toward that. But what's interesting is you mentioned Stipe Miocic. Jones has sort of been soft playing that idea. He's almost come out and say, well, you know, Stipe's so hot right now, is it, you know, with his hands. I don't even know if I want that. Frank Mir just came out yesterday and said that's an awful matchup for John Jones if he was going to make the leap up to a heavyweight debut. Do you think that Jones is – Hand striking is just not on the level to face a guy like Stipe? He has no jab. How are you that tall with no jab? You know what I'm saying? The jab means everything. The jab's most the jab's the only only strike they teach in in boxing, kickboxing, and MMA. As far as like the first strike you learn is a jab. Outside of stance, you learn a jab <laughs> with a right hand. So if you don't have a jab, you're just gonna get hit. Or or you can't control range. That's why Jones, you see him doing the Thing with the hand, that's why the eye posts are happening. You seem to do the oblique kicks to keep range. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, as far as like Brock versus, uh, as far as Brock versus Jones, the only way it's going to break records if the, if the, if the WWE fans t- don't like, you know, tune in and, and buy that, you know what I'm saying? Because if it's just UFC fans, then it's not going to happen. I think that hits a crossover market. I think that's the point. You know, like, it's the same reason why Mayweather McGregor is probably going to break the, the, that ridiculous Mayweather Pacquiao boxing record of 4.6 million buys because the public doesn't know enough. They, well, they want stars, right? And you can't get bigger from Jones Lesnar in terms of star power. Well, maybe it just depends on, it depends on like people, now people, people aren't trying to spend money like that no more. So you have to, you have to have something that's truly competitive. Like, for instance, Triple G versus Canelo is a truly competitive fight yes. versus two guys. In their prime. You know what I'm saying? Doing a thing. Now, Jones versus Brock Lesnar, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's an intriguing matchup off of just looks. But then if you break it down, Brock Lesnar's fought, what, twice in five years? Yeah, for one, one time since since that 2011 loss to uh, Overeem. And he looked horrible in the last two fights. You know what I'm saying? And Jones, like, Jones is Jones, Jones handling. But you know what? Like, you do have a lot of people out there that just don't do their homework, and they might pay for it. You know, I, I, you just never know what's going to happen. Because I thought, you know, you look at, you look at um, Mayweather McGregor, there's, there's still tickets for, tickets for sale. You know, yeah, very expensive tickets. Mind but, but, yeah, but, same, but, you know, you look at the um, Pacquiao Mayweather fight. 
tickets are sold out. I, I think yeah. that when it comes down to it, people starting to think like, hey, is this worth paying for? Because you know we haven't. You no, know, if you look at the marketing, you haven't seen Conor McGregor any type of video from sparring. You haven't seen any type of video of them asking him questions about like what flaws do you see in Floyd's technique as far as his boxing. There's a lot of things. So, but one thing I'm seeing people do is like, hey, we'll go to Buffalo Wild Wings. So people, they're all gonna go and group together and watch it as a group. But I've, it's like you start, you're starting to see less and less people um, buy pay per views outright because. They don't try to spend that money. Well, I think Mayweather Pacquiao killed the pay-per-view business because they raised it to a hundred bucks. People assumed this would be a Hagler Hearns fight because they were coming from a casual point of view, maybe not realizing Floyd's history of, of being able to suck the entertainment out because he's such a brilliant defensive wizard. And man, to not see Pacquiao go for broke, I think that soured a lot of people to say, I'm not going to fall for this again. Yeah, well, the thing is that the thing is you can't blame Floyd because all those people pay Floyd's fights. They've been known how Floyd fights. Pacquiao just went out there and got – he got hit a few times with something that didn't see coming and was like, okay, well, I don't want to get countered. It's plain and simple. You know, blame the fight. But, you know, so people should blame that fight on Pacquiao because Pacquiao was everything Floyd had problems with. Pacquiao hasn't been the same since that Marquez knockout in 2012 in the sense that he does he's no longer reckless to go – when he needs to channel to another level to try to win a fight, he doesn't have that anymore. And I feel like it, it, you trace that back to that how ridiculously devastating that one-punch knockout was to Marquez. He's, he's, he looked different even before. I'm a, I'm a boxing fan. I'm a boxing head. He looked different. If you go back and watch his fight versus Margarito, watch his fight versus Claudio, you know, he looked different then. You know, ever since those fights – Happened back then. He never looked the same. After after he was he was a killer in the uh, in the cuddle fight. After that, never looked the same again. Claudio, Margarito, um, Rios, then look again. Algeri, you know Marquez, you know then Jeremy Horn or I mean Jeff yeah, Horn, yeah, Jeff Horn, Jeff Horn, Jeff Horn from Australia. So he has looked that great in a lot of fights. No, no, I, I hear you on that. I wanted to hit this Mayweather McGregor topic. You. Uh, from the outside looking, I've seen you at a ton of boxing cards. I've seen you at a ton of Mayweather events. You're somewhat close to the Mayweather camp, true? Well, I, I'm I'm cool with Floyd when I see him. I talk to him, but Jeff Mayweather is my dog. You know, that's my boxing coach. And he's like a brother. Now, what did you make of Floyd's decision to take this fight? Because there's a lot of layers to it, right? Like it's obviously it's the kind of money you can't turn down. But there's this there's if if you're a hardcore boxing fan like me, I was initially a bit insulted at the idea that Floyd could go to 50 and 0 against McGregor. You want to do this as a one-off exhibition, as like a hey guys, look, we're not fooling around. We're taking your money. We're telling you, we're taking your money so you can watch the spectacle. But the idea of it being when when Floyd has been so about the unbeaten record and the history that he's making to see him try to go 50 and 0 against a guy who's never fought, that's where the boxing side is like, come on, man. Well. I, I, I personally, I'm not gonna watch the fight because I know it's gonna happen. Um, I know interest in the fight. Like, I just think, I think the only thing that's interesting is just like the the business part of it. That's about it. But as far as the comp, it's, no, it's not gonna be competitive. Um, I'm glad Conor's getting paid. I'm glad Floyd's getting paid. But I'm gonna save my time and my money for the Triple G Canelo fight. That's what I'm talking maybe, about. Maybe the Wilder, um, Wilder, um, Josh. Well, I guess Wilder, um, Ortiz or Joshua Ortiz fight because you know that's my boy. Shout out to Luis Ortiz, training hard. Saw him last week. Oh, that guy's a beast. You, you, yeah. You're friends with Luis? That guy is a beast. Spar with him. I spar with him. I spar with him a few times. All right, so. tell, tell us about this guy's. Good. So we know he's a killer in terms of his left hand, but I feel like there's some real, real technique and real class underneath what he's doing coming from that Cuban background. Man, I'm gonna tell you this. Um, he can emulate any style. He's quick. Um, he sparred me with like twenty. Like twenty something ounce gloves on, and I was I was baffled by his speed, his range, 
He's very agile, goes to the body real well. Um, just he's a he's a complete package. And the crazy thing is, when he first came five years ago to this country, like my this he's uh, he was um trained by a guy named Herman Casado. I might be butchering his name, but Herman's like Mo. When I when I first got him, he didn't he didn't understand range. He had he had the tools, but he didn't understand a lot. He's like so I had to teach him how to be a good a good professional boxer. The first time I saw him fight. He fought a guy named Latif Coyote, and Coyote oh, fought yeah. um, fight, um Tarver and um, Showbox, and he, he had some good fights. He's a he's a strong dude from Nigeria, good chin, good power puncher. And I watched Luis Ortiz run through him. I was and there, I was, Vegas, right, 2014 at the Hard Rock. He 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 tore a hole through Latif Coyote that night. And that's when I was like, who is this guy? This guy is some serious. And ever since then, I've been following him. No, I think he got popped for for a bad drug test that night, but he has rebounded well. When he fought Bryant Jennings, that was the, okay, we've got somebody who's a believer now. Jennings, of course, gave Klitschko even a, a tough matchup a couple years ago at Madison Square Garden. He blew away Bryant Jennings. If I'm Deontay Wilder, I'm not going out of my way to fight Luis Ortiz unless I have to. Well, he's going to have to because Luis Ortiz is now signed with Al Heyman. So pff, Al Heyman in-house, you know, so it's, the fight's going to happen. I, I agree with you. What What is your take on, from an MMA standpoint, of Connor accepting this fight? Because I feel like a lot of the MMA people I talk to look at this fight happening as a victory for the sport in some in some weird way. What do you What do you look at it as in terms of Connor getting his brand to this level? Is there any sort of like tip of the hat, well done type of thing? Yeah, well, the thing is like it's like this, right? I tell I put like this. And it's gonna be controversial, but okay, I'm, I'm gonna be real. Okay, um, he's smiling, right? I've been to Ireland. Ireland, they back their people. Now, you come to America. Now, most white folks I meet in America will either claim they're Cherokee, Irish, or Italian. So there's a strong Irish-American fan base here that will support somebody from True. Ireland. So he came here. They pushed him. He did his thing by winning. He, got the, he didn't face no wrestlers, luckily. You know what I'm saying? He didn't face he happy, but Chad Mendes, but on two weeks' notice. Yeah, that's a good point. He didn't have notice, but the thing is, like, you know, but he did his thing. He, so he's, he's winning impressively. You know what I'm saying? But it's easy for people to jump. Look, look at Jerry Cooney. Remember Jerry Cooney fought Larry oh, yeah. Holmes? People like, they jumped on the bat. And if you look one step further, look at the great white hype. Not, I'm not saying he's the great white hype, but look <laughs> at where, um, uh, Irish Kelly Conkling. I think his name was Irish Conkling. Terry Conkling. Look at him. They found him. They, they found him. Uh, he beat Roper in, when they were like, what, teenagers. You know what I'm saying? They found him and they brought him out. He's Irish American. They push, they play that up, and guess what? America backed him because he's Irish. You know, it's like it's uh, uh, the Irish. They have a strong foundation within American culture. Well, when well, you mentioned Jerry Cooney, when he fought Larry Holmes in that gigantic heavyweight title fight, I believe it was you know right around eighty two, eighty three in that period of time. That was a legit. That got nasty. That was a legitimate white black thing as far as the build in terms of using that as a marketing tool. I think we can't be naive. A lot of what makes Mayweather McGregor so popular and what will get this fight to possibly exceed that four point six million pay per view buy record is it's a great white hope thing. There is to a certain degree. I mean, that's not for me to try to not Connor, I've seen him do things I didn't think he could do inside the cage, right? Knocking out Jose Aldo with one punch is no joke, but there is a big level, I think, of people just saying, here's a crazy white guy who can talk. He's going against the African-American villain in Floyd, and I say villain because he's strategically presented himself at that, to be sort of the villain, to make you want to buy the fight, to see him lose. There's a lot of that element in what's going to make this be a success in my mind. See, if you look at it, they're both the same fighter, in a sense, like as far as like promotion. They both talk about money. They both like demean other fighters by saying stuff. So they're both the same. They're both villains, except that just that one's acceptable and one's not. 
and one's looked at a lot different because when it comes down to it, you'll hear people say, I can't stand for it. I'm like, why? Why's that? Oh, he beats women. Okay, that's cool. I respect that. Now, be like, you like Mike Tyson? I love Mike Tyson. You like Stone Cold Steve Austin? Love Stone Cold Steve Austin. Okay, then hate them because Mike Tyson's convicted rapist. I'm not saying he did it, but convicted right. rapist. He admitted to beating his wife on Oprah Winfrey. Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, he got into it with his wife a few times too. So, like, I, I'm, I don't care about what you do in your personal life. I just care about your skills, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm not in your personal life. I have my demons. We all do. But when it comes down to it, Connor Ford's going to hopefully put on a good show for the fans that pay to tune in. Um, the trash talk is going to, you know, is help help sell the fight. And that says something itself when the trash talk and a few highlights is help selling the fight more than anything else because you even see, you get to see Connor do mitts. You get to see Connor spar. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we're going to see that footage, right? We're never going to see that. Exactly. So that's, that's, that, that, that itself just show, shows you that the fight pretty much itself is just hype because there's there's no there's nothing you can show from Connor's side besides MMA highlights. You know that'd be like that'd be like if Floyd imagine if Floyd went to MMA. What could you show from Floyd? Like boxing highlights? No. Well, well, how would Floyd do with the kick? I remember remember Cool Vince Phillips. Oh yeah. I remember I met him at Justin Fortune's gym and he told me he did K1 and I remember he did K1 because he fought Masato and he's like Mo, the first first kick I took <laughs> broke my arm, second kick I took I took second kick I took broke my leg. And then he kicked me in the body and kind of like fractured my rib. So like Floyd, Floyd, listen, Floyd would get murdered in MMA by anybody, but unless unless they had like you know, unless unless they were sick and torn their Achilles tendon right as they got in the cage, Floyd would lose to probably ninety eight percent of the MMA fighters that are, are well trained. Outside of Tim Sylvia getting one punch knocked out by old Ray Mercer, every time that a boxer has sort of crossed over, they've run into that. It's just, it's, it's not apples to apples, right? I mean, that, that's what, that's the breakdown. The people that know are going to know about this fight, but you're buying it for the circus. It, it is what it is. I just don't, you know, for a while it felt like, well, maybe this will be the beginning of a new sort of combat sports super, combat sports super fight series. I mean, Dana's walking around wearing a Zufa boxing t-shirt, which felt strategic, right? I just don't know if you could, like, let's say you did Jose Aldo against Miguel Cotto. I'm just throwing it out as an example because because Aldo mentioned that at one point. It's just not going to get the attention that this fight would because you got to give Floyd and, and Conor credit at this very basic thing. They are all-time great showmen and, sell, and salesmen that we may never see again on this type of level. I mean, these guys are strategic geniuses in that regard. Well, you know, Floyd, if you look at Floyd's fan base, Floyd doesn't have a fan base. Floyd's fan base is people that want to see him lose. One thing that helped Floyd, one thing that helped Floyd people are not real, realizing is he tapped into the Mexican market. If you look at Floyd's fights, his major fights, when he broke the record, when he, when he went over a million buys, he had Canelo on the undercard. Oh, yeah. Saying, take away Canelo, uh, you know, when he fought Maidana, he had Leos on the cruise. Well, it would just go back to he became a pay-per-view star when he beat De La Hoya, Mexican-American, right? He fought Marquez when Floyd came back from that two-year retirement. Strategic fight against a Mexican-American. Obviously knows what he's doing. Not afraid to wear the Mexican flag colors on his leather trunks. Yeah, that's, that's 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 the truth. Um, I know I I, I think that these two um, they'll hopefully put on a good show. If not, then people are gonna be sour to pay per view buys, buying pay per views, and this fight could really kill pay per view as far as like people not buy, wanting to buy pay per views again. So if I was Del Hoya and Bob Arum, I'd be like, hey, or not Bob Arum, but K two Promotions, I'd be kind of like nervous about um. About this fight with um, Triple G and Canelo, not 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 doing because I personally that fight should do about a million and a half buys, you know. But 
don't be surprised if it doesn't do over a million buys or actually over a million and a half buys. It'll do a million buys, but it doesn't over a million and a half because of the pay-per-view that happened just a month before. Yeah, three weeks before. I mean, that was really strategic of Floyd to say, okay, I'm not in the traditional boxing game. Can- uh, Canelo stole my date of, of Mexican Independence Day, but I'm going to slide in his DMs three weeks earlier and do the kind of fight that, like you said, I mean, it could kill the market. You could have a lot of casual fans who once a year they're willing to spend 70 bucks on a pay-per-view. Now they're spending 100 for Maymac. I don't know if those same people will buy Triple G. I mean, that's just the reality. It's not, well, it's those same people won't because it's certainly the hardcores that buy it. But if you look at, if you look at things about it like this, this is how you know this fight is kind of like some BS because – when have you ever seen Floyd do two things? When have you ever seen Floyd concede and say someone could possibly beat me? Exactly. I could be like, Floyd, can you beat Shagray Robinson? He'd be like, yeah, I'll beat Shagray Robinson. He's probably the, arguably the greatest boxer of all time. When have you ever seen Floyd concede, give it up, um, May, you know, a September day, the day of September or the day in May? Never. Only this time because he knows he can't compete with, he can't compete with Triple G Canelo on that day because, you know, you got real Mexican, Fighting that day versus a real life, you know, competitor in Triple G. So it's gonna be hard. It'd be hard for him to to jump jump in that day and take that day with no Mexican opponent. Absolutely, no doubt about it. I want to ask you one question now that we're talking about the business side of combat sports. Why you're on the Bellator side? Why do you think so many UFC guys? It really, in the past year and a half, it's almost like epidemic level, jumping ship to Bellator, but doing it in the prime of their careers. This isn't Chael Sonnen and Rampage coming over, although they did. This is, I'm talking about guys like Rory McDonald, Phil Davis, guys right in the middle of that prime. Because respect. You know, it's like this, right? If you look at a lot of people, and this is a problem, you know, compared to boxing, compared to MMA. Okay. In MMA, people are fans of the organization, not fans of the fighters, per se. They're fans of the organization. The most powerful person in MMA never even threw a puncher for. You know what I'm saying? The the most popular, the most famous person in MMA right now has never even thrown a puncher for. That'd be like that'd be like Don King being the most famous person in boxing. You know, it's different. You know, in boxing, people follow the fighters. If you like, if I ask you who fought on um, Mayweather versus Maidana, you'd know it's Mayweather versus Maidana because they put that there. You know what I'm saying? You wouldn't even know who promoted it. So you'd be like, because it, because you know, because the small letters on who promoted it. Good point. But you look at MMA. If I ask you, fight in UFC 97 or Bellator 111, you'd be like, I don't know. You wouldn't know. Yeah, you know I mean, I, I could tell you fought at UFC 100 and UFC 200. Other dates, you get, you gotta, you know, there had to be a reason for you to remember that specific number. Exactly. You know, and, and MMA, MMA, you know, is more. Push is more promoted towards the you know the organization is the is the face you know they, was they, that they, was that purposely you think when the UFC you know when, when Dana White and the Fertitta brothers Zufa when they purchased the UFC when it was on its deathbed do you think that was a calculated decision to always make the brand the centerpiece to make Dana White the almost the his bald head is almost the icon you know the image of the brand. Or did it evolve over time that way? I mean, because, you know, there's a lot of talk about fighter pay, which is probably fueling a lot of these guys leaving. I think that they did. I think they did that for a reason. You know, all, get all the power. Because now now you have fighters that are fighting. They're, they're bigger fans of the organization than they are their own career. And I, I hear fighters say, oh, I'll do whatever it takes to get fighting the cage and Bellator and when you see, I'll fight for free. Well, you're stupid. You know, why fight for free? You know, um, I just feel like, you know, a lot of these guys aren't fighters no more. Back then, when I first started, I seen you know guys are they fought, you know what I'm saying, and, and they they were fighting to make money, you know what I'm saying. They weren't worried about oh I'm gonna go to the UFC. They're just worried about making making money and, and fighting, staying active. 
Now it's all about I just want to get to UFC and I just want to get get me a, a, a one of the UFC jerseys or I want to get the Bellator and be on TV. You know, they're not worried about the pay. They worry about just being seen on TV and their fans. You know, I, I call them groupies. You know, <laughs> you're a fighter, you're a groupie. So that's a, that's a, I like that tagline right there. That should be on a t-shirt. No, seriously. I mean, it's like, I've seen fighters though stand up for themselves this calendar year more than ever before. Maybe it's the fallout of seeing the UFC get sold for four billion. And you see, I mean, it's from Demetrius Johnson, a champion to everybody sort of standing up. We're at such an infancy period in the overall sport of MMA when you consider, you know, it only started in the early nineties. You think that this will just be looked back upon as essentially that an infancy era where fighters didn't know their worth, where it took some time, and that from this point forward we'll see more fighters taking a stand, more fighters turning down fights, that on and on? Well I I I don't know what's gonna happen. I can predict the future, but I just think that, you know, um fighters don't know their worth, you know, and they I feel I feel like they should know their worth and they're starting to realize that Think about this, right? Remember when Conor McGregor and Floyd were supposed to first fight, and Dana White went on ESPN and said, "Hey, Floyd, I'll give you twenty-five million. And what did Floyd do? Floyd laughed. Yeah. And all the fans were like, "Floyd should take that fight. Floyd's scared. Oh, Floyd should take it." Floyd was like, "I'm not taking that twenty-five million dollars, please. You can get it to Conor. I'm worth more than that." And everyone thought Floyd was trying to price himself out. Now look, you know, now look, Floyd's gonna make over three hundred million. You know what I'm saying? Like Floyd could easily set up for 25 million and, and just got and got got hustled and Dana White and them in the UFC and whoever was, and Al Heyman would made all the money. You know, you get to know your worth. And I feel like a lot of times fighters they look at the UFC and the Bellator and other organizations as the end all be all. You know what I'm saying? Like just all you gotta do is keep on winning and keep on showcasing your skills and keep on impressing the fans and you will get there. I don't know what organization, but if you keep on doing what you gotta do to win. And looking impressive, you will you will be a star. How close did you ever come at any point to making that leap to the UFC? Uh, I don't know, man. But I, I, I'm gonna be real with you. Um, my goal was when I said I'm gonna do MMA. I was like, my goal is to get paid. I don't care about organizations. I don't care. I just want to get paid. My thing is to fight, get paid, have fun, and then when it's time to leave, just leave. I'm, I'm probably gonna fight ten more fights around then, and just and just step away. You know, let the let other people step in and make more money. You know, I'm I'm cool. I, I just to me it's a job. I enjoy doing it. It's a lifestyle. But as far as every, you know, it's not my it's not my whole life. You know, I just like I enjoy doing it, and it pays well. That's real. That's real talk right there. We will see you again. You have a date set October 20th, Bellator 185 against former Bellator light heavyweight champ Liam McGarry. What are you looking at for this fight? What you're at age 36? What what will this fight do in terms of your arc with Bellator? I don't know. I just got to get that win. You know, I, I don't really, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm thinking about like legacy or what this one's going to do. Cause all the wins, if you just keep on winning, you get, you'll get a title shot. So my thing is just keep on winning all wins, no losses. You know what I'm saying? And just get wins and win impressive. You can, you know what I'm saying? You can't win. You can't be impressive every time, but try to be impressive when you can. Cause that will help you get farther. You know? So my thing is just go out there, beat Liam, Try to try, you know, be try to be impressive, but trying to get hurt at the same time and not get submitted because that guy's got some long legs and arms, man. I'm not worried about submission because I've grappled with some of the best, like Fabricio Verdum. I helped Verdum train for the Fedor fight. I've been trained for Abu Dhabi, trained with Dean Lester. I've trained with some of the best, like you know. I'm, I'm not worried about submissions because I, I, they call me the Black Houdini for a reason. <laughs> I love that, love that. We're gonna see uh, Gegard Mousasi making his Bellator debut on that same card. You defeated that man in a title fight in Strikeforce back in the day. We we slow building for a rematch down the road here. What's going on? Uh, you know, Gegard wants it. You know, 
Well, I, I fight him, you know what I'm saying, but he to come to 205. I know he's talking about fighting in like four different divisions. He's talking about fighting Fedor. He's talking about going to heavyweight, maybe winning the middleweight title first. I mean, this guy seems all over the place right now. That's how he should be. I, I, I respect that. I'm the same way. We're money waiters. You know what I'm saying? We don't care about size. We just want to fight and get paid. You know, like all this weight class stuff, catch weight stuff, I don't care about that. If I can make the weight, I will fight you. And that's how he is. That's how he, I respect him. You know, I, I think he's a great fighter. I respect him. I like his, I like his mentality. And I, I wish there were more people like him that were to fight different weight classes and, and test and test their skills. Absolutely. I can't get I can't let you out of here, King Mo, without talking about some wrestling. I'm a pro wrestling guy, man. You had that little run, that little cup of coffee with TNA. I was hoping it was gonna turn into something big, man. Oh, it's gonna come back, man. Put like this, like I put in that work. I'ma tell you this. AJ Styles stole my calf slicer move because I hate that move. <laughs> Three weeks later, out because it asked Al Snow. We were going over the move, and I hit in the match, got the submission win. Three weeks later, I see AJ Styles hit. But you know what? AJ Styles is a great wrestler. So oh yeah, do whatever he wants. <laughs> That's awesome. The AJ Styles was watching King Mo work out and getting in in the match. He's like, I got to steal this move. I got to put this on. I got to get this phenomenal move in here from King Mo. This is great. But I, I think that right now, you know, I did the paper, I did the anniversary thing um, with the ATT. I'm hoping that they'll bring me back for some more. You know, I've been talking to. Uh, to Jeff Jarrett, we'll see what's up, man. You know him and Karen, they're cool people. Hopefully they use me. You know if they if they don't, Ring of Honor. I'll I'll go have some Ring of Honor. My favorite organizations are New Japan, yes, Ring of Honor, and I like Global Force because Global Force is doing our thing right now. But Ring of Honor's man, Ring of Honor is pretty. I'm a, I'm a I'm a huge um, Hangman Page fan. I'm a huge Cody Rhodes, huge Young Bucks fan. Kenny Omega is the man. Oh my God. Okay. So on our, on, on the In This Corner with Brian Campbell wrestling podcast, we fawn over Kenny Omega in the, in the G1 tournament, which obviously is going on right now with NJPW, because I feel like they're doing, they're creating something new almost. It's not like, it, it's the same feeling I got with ECW in the 90s. It's not the, it's not the same product, but that same feeling that you're watching something raw and different, something that might change the business. Do you get that feeling when you watch Omega and Okada and the Young Bucks and all those guys over there? Yeah, you know why? Because they have more of an independent field. They wrestle harder. Um, and you see more with the independent field, you see more variety in wrestling. You see higher spots. People call them spot monkeys, but I, I enjoy watching them. But you see different styles. Like you see um, guys from AAA. You, so now you're seeing guys from Lucha. They're all, they're all together. You know what I'm saying? You see Bola over there, um, with PWG. I just, I, I like that. You know, I feel like the WWE have, have they had kind of the same thing with NXT, but then once they go to, the WWE to the big stage, things get watered down. They get scripted. I, it's too much scripting. I think it's got to be it. Not just scripting, but style. It's not. I like the stiff, strong style. Yes, I like that. That that style, like New Japan, Ring of Honor. That style is like much better. And you're starting to see it more with the Global Force, and hopefully WWE starts to catch up on that. But the stiff style, you know. The strong style is the way to go. <laughs> you heard that right here. That's what I'm talking about. You got to tell us this though. When you did attempt some pro wrestling training, you know, you had you had some run in TNA. You did some OVW stuff, if I'm correct, right? What was the first time when you took a bump? And tell me, give me that story. The first bump, because I feel like everybody does that, and then they hit the back of their head, and then they're like, never again. Where were you on that? My first bump was I took in 2007. My, my I had WWE tryout. No way! I, this is this is part of the bio I didn't research. Tell me about this. Yeah, they, man, they they flew up me and this guy named Brandon Eggum, who's from Minnesota. Him and Brock Lesnar were boys at the time. They flew us out to Kentucky, and uh, I met Tom Pritchard and uh and Jim Cornette. I was like, <laughs> I was marked out. But uh, you know, I was there with the the Basham brothers, um, Shaniqua, 
um, Molly Holly, um, the um, let me see who else is there? Simon Dean, um, Big Mark Henry was there. Sky Too High, the Worm was there, and Johnny Morrison. I actually wrestled Johnny Morrison in practice. Nice. And I took I, you know the bumps was not a big thing. It's just the hitting the ropes and taking the bumps. That's what got me. <laughs> because when you hit the ropes, you know, and like, you do that little spot, you know, the shoulder tackle spot. Like a few times, I messed up a few times on that. You know, um, hit my head and the um, the back of my head and the um, on the canvas, not the canvas, but the mat. And guess what, people? The mat isn't soft. You know, it's it's wood, metal, and a, a small thin piece of styrofoam, like about that thin. In OVW, they've had the same ring. They ain't changed nothing on that ring since if since it first opened. So it's the same old school ring they've had forever. And Man, I was I was hurting. Heels are hurting. Elbows hurting. Back, neck, hips. My neck, my back. You should write a song about that. Yeah, I mean, the, take it. I mean, I I watch. Uh, you know, you watch simple bumps, and you're like, I don't think your back is meant to even take that. You know, simple shoulder tackle bump, let alone a superplex or something ridiculous. Yeah, I I, I just I'm I'd say this. I'm gonna say it again. MMA is a lot easier than pro wrestling, hands down, hands down. I, I could, you know, there are times I fought three times in two nights, whatever. And I went home and, you know, I trained, like, took a week off, trained again. I did three, I did three matches in two days at OBW, and I was sore for three and a half weeks. <laughs> sore. I, I mean, the first match was only five minutes long. The second match was supposed to be, like, eight. But, you know, I guess somebody in the back wasn't, um, wasn't ready, so that they told us to extend it. So I had to take more bumps. Oh, man, it was the worst feeling. And then the third match was, like, 12 minutes long and that's when i realized like all right i was like maybe wrestling isn't for me i like it but i'll do it but man just well you got you got the name you got the crown on your head you can talk maybe some form of wrestling is still for you right well i you know i, I can work it's just that back then when i first got into it i i was like gung-ho I, so i was like hitting the ropes extra hard i was doing extra bumps and i was just doing extra just because just because i wanted to from coming from a wrestling background you know you put the, the more you put in the more quality you put in, the more you get out of it. So I was like, all right, go in there, hit every bump hard, hit the ropes hard. So I was doing everything hard, not realizing that, you know, I'm going to pay the price for it the next day. And I did because, you know, Al Snow, I'll never forget, like, the, the second time around, Al Snow had us doing five-hour workouts, like practices, like body slams, chops, jumping over the ropes, jumping through the ropes, like taking, oh, man, taking suplexes. Man, What do those bet. chops feel like? Come on. What do those, those, those Ric Flair signature chops feel like? Well, put it like this, um, I got chopped 30 times in that one workout, and my chest was bleeding. Oh. They don't feel good at all. All right, there it is. King Mo dropping the science on us across boxing, MMA, pro wrestling. That's what I'm talking about, King Mo. <laughs> yeah, you know what, you know, it is what it is, man. I'm, I'm pretty, no I'm kind of knowledgeable in a lot of things here and there, especially combat sports. Well, I just have a different look on things. Absolutely. You bring it. You're real. We're going to see you again in October back in the in the Bellator cage. I hope that we see you again in some pro wrestling in the future, man. Definitely keeping that up. Thanks so much for joining me, King Mo. You got any, any message to the fans on the way out of here? Hey, um, fans, support everybody doing something positive. You know, MMA, boxing, pro wrestling, kickboxing, grappling. You know, we're all in this together. You know, we're all kind of cousins in combat sports. So support us all. Special thanks once again to King Mo Lawal. You can find him on Twitter at King Mo FH. 
And if you would like your questions answered in next week's episode, please, during our DM segment, slide right in on Twitter at BCampbellCBS. Yes, DM season is open. This is a show that is for the people and by the people. We want to hear your take, your questions, your concerns. So slide right in or, heck, uh, swan dive in if you have to. But that'll do it for me, TBC, after another week of all-action podcasts on this Combat Sports Carnival. Final reminder to check out our boxing show with guest Gennady Golovkin and our pro wrestling edition with WWE superstar Braun Strowman. In this corner is coming for your free time, folks, as the audio invasion continues. This has been the Brian Campbell with the motto, always being the same. We want you to want me. So have a great weekend, and I've got two words for you on the way home. We out.